You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. Well, it's been a little bit since I've been up here, so I'm like mentally reorienting, but we'll just dive into things. Um, I mentioned my name is Vincent, and I'm sharing today not as someone who has any formal training in, in theology, but someone who's learning alongside us, of us. And um, I grew up going, going to church, but being in a culture that I would say was largely unchurched. My parents didn't go to church. Uh, my friends at school didn't go to church. And so I, I wasn't really aware of, you know, general perceptions around, around that. And I remember one time I told my classmate that I go to church, and they're like, oh, of course you do. Like, you like to follow rules. Of course you go to church. I was like... Church isn't a place where people like to follow rules. And I just had this interesting, like, oh, okay, we have different ideas. Like, I kind of, you know, think of church as a hospital for sinners more than a museum for saints. And I think maybe they had this idea of, well, church is the place where you go to, where you might believe a certain thing, and you try and act a certain way, and the people who act that way, they're the ones who go to church. And the past few weeks, Steve's been sharing out of Galatians, and how, even though church is often perceived that way, we're exploring the question of what is a, a Christian community? And how do we define ourselves? And particularly, how do we define ourselves in a way that's not based on drawing these lines where we say, you're in and you're out based on what you believe or how you act? And he outlined a couple different um, ways of, uh, of thinking about it. And he's used this language here of bounded set versus centered set. So I'll give a very brief description, and then you can refer back to the podcast if you want more info. So a bounded set is what I just described. It's, you know, people are in or out based on what they believe or how they act. And that's typically how we think about church. And we talked about how we want to move away from that. It's not outlined here, but sometimes the reaction is to be what's called a fuzzy set, meaning we just say, no rules, no values, anyone's welcome. And that might initially seem welcoming, but it's hard to define the purpose of the community when it's so fuzzy. And so we described this alternate named centered set. And what we mean by that is the community is defined by people's orientation, or in other words, where they seem to be moving towards. And in the case of Christian community, that center is Jesus. And we had talked last time about, you know, we want to let go of this bounded set idea and read through Galatians 3, 28, where it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And I really appreciated what we've been going through. But the past few weeks, I've been left with this question of, okay, I understand how to not be a bounded set church, but what does it mean to be a church centered around Jesus? Like practically, what does that look like to move towards Jesus? So that's the question I'd like to explore a little bit today and share some thoughts on. Great. Thankfully, Jesus does give us some ideas of what it means to move towards him, or he also uses the term following him. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And there's the references there. 
the first thing that jumps out to me is, you know, these people are wanting to follow Jesus. And like, how do we follow you? And then he actually lists a couple steps and then follow him. I think that's kind of an interesting thing. He, he encourages us to start with denying ourselves. I thought I had to highlight it, but that's okay. Um, and, and then this idea of taking up our cross and then the action follows. So there's this process of denying ourselves, which I'm packaging as examining our own hearts through the Spirit's help and giving up parts of us that hinder us from following Jesus and loving others. Then he says, take up your cross and follow me. And to me, taking up our crosses is about embracing Jesus's mission of selfless love. And we get this even in Galatians. We had read in Galatians 5.14 last time how Paul says the whole law is summed up by love your neighbor. And he's connecting to it. John describes Jesus saying about, if you follow me, love others. There's this sense of um, the cross is about this self-sacrifice. And finally, then Jesus says, then you put it in action. So if you, once you've examined yourself, you let go of some of that baggage, you reorient to Jesus's mission of love, then we can walk. So that's a bit theoretical. I'd like to give a couple examples of how that might play out in life. I had heard of a, a recent story of a couple who's not from Thunder Bay, and they were arguing. And uh, the girlfriend said to the boyfriend, hey, can I give you a hug? She said, no. And so they're talking about this with their pastor. And the pastor's like, well, tell me about that. Why didn't you want to give her a hug? And he said, she wronged me last time. And I feel like I have a right to punish her. And the moment he said that, he realized, oh, there's something wrong with the slides. But <laughs> no, that's, that's, not, that's not true. That's my own fault. Um, there's, there's something wrong with, with, with that. Right? Like, and maybe that language is very strong, but there's other ways where we might think, if someone's wronged me, I have the right to hold that against them, at least until we get even. And once he realized that, though, he was able to say, okay, that's getting in the way of me living the way Jesus calls me to, so I got to let that go. And once he was able to let that go, he started to think, okay, well, how does Jesus call us to live? And he's thinking about words in Jesus' teachings about forgiveness. Like Jesus talks about this parable of forgiveness is like someone who has owed a ruler in a, new, a debt that couldn't be paid, and he, the ruler says, it's okay. I'm not going to hold it against you. You don't owe me. And, and so this person's realizing this is, okay, Jesus' mission of love involves forgiveness. And then they were able to put it in practice. And so, of course, moving forward with that, in that relationship, when, when his partner wanted something, he said, okay, yeah, let's do that. Right? I'm not going to hold these things against you, even though I'm hurt by them or I feel wrong with them. I'm going to follow Jesus' way. So that's one example. And I wonder about what, you know, what would it look like for us to let go of the right to hold people's wrongs against us. Um, and maybe it's in family life, like maybe our siblings do things that hurt us or annoy us and we want to ignore them for a period. Um, quick story, earlier this week I was sick, had a headache. My three and a half year old whacked me in the head with a pillow. 
which really hurt. And I was like, you need to say sorry. Refuse to apologize. And my gut response was, fine. Then you want to play blocks? I'm not going to play blocks with you because I feel hurt. And I want to just, you know, not, not, um, I, I don't want to respond in love right now. I want to just, you know, a bit of payback, so to speak, which isn't fair for a three and a half year old or anyone for that matter. But then I had to realize, okay, that's not fair. Like I got to forgive him and then, you know, move on. And so that, that's a little example. Um, maybe there's others. And, and also as a church, wouldn't it be interesting if people said, oh, church, that's the place where people don't really hold grudges against each other. Just a thought. I'll give another example. Uh, earlier this week, I was at a work meeting. I get to go to these community meetings, lots of different people. This particular meeting, were, uh, there were students, there was executive directors, and everything in between. And I noticed when I was walking in the room and deciding where to sit, I really wanted to gravitate towards the people I thought were the people who had influence, like managers or CEOs or whatever. And I was reflecting on that, like, why is that? And I realized, oh, it's because I'm worried about what people think about me. I want to be someone who's seen as important or well-connected or smart. Um, And that's what's driving that. I care about what people think. And I realized it's not bad to care about what people think, but I don't want that to be the driving force in how I see myself and what I do. And so I wanted to try and let that go. And then I started thinking, well, what does Jesus say about this? His mission of love. Um, And I thought of his words, like when the disciples wanted to be at his right hand and they were talking about who's going to be first. And he says, if you want to be first, you got to be last. And the last will be first. And this idea of, you know, don't get caught up in the world's ideas of what it means to get ahead in life. And so my response to that was, okay, I'll just sit with the people who are right in front of me and be present with them. And what happened is I actually heard an incredible story of a high school teen, uh, a teenager who was a refugee, whose family had endured war, who came with complete culture shock, not knowing the language, whose family experienced significant discrimination, and is this incredible advocate for refugee rights and what, it, what we could do. We had a, a roundtable discussion. She contributed incredible ideas. She was smart and engaged. I thought, wow, I would have missed all of that if I had walked over to that other table. But maybe there's other ways in which we're caught up in thinking about you know, how people um, think about us. Maybe you're in school and you're, it's really easy to just want to make friends based on who we think is popular. Um, what would it look like if we actually made friends just based on who was right in front of us that we thought we could be a friend to? Or maybe it's at work and the pressures that we might feel to, to need to impress people. I don't know what that is for us. I also wonder what it looks like as a church. Could we as a church be less concerned about other people's thoughts of us so that we can really seek where Jesus leads us and do it, even if it means losing the respect of other people in the community or other churches, but if we're confident that this is where God is leading. I'll give one more example, and I've been thinking about this topic of greed a lot because um, in my work and other places, I've really been reminded of how 
many terrible things um, are happening and continue, have happened and continue to happen with colonization, particularly against indigenous peoples in our community. And I think of this idea of greed and just how, um, how damaging it can be when we just want more and more stuff at the expense of others. I think of how it hurts our land, how it hurts our people. And it's really easy for me to take this concept of greed and think about, okay, well, you know, it's those people there, it's out there in this big problem, but not really look at myself. And Christmas season is coming along, and I notice some of those tendencies to think about, okay, how can I get the things that I want for my gift list, for myself? Um, and I just wonder, like, what would it look like if we were a little bit less concerned about stuff and things and things we want? Like, who, who would we be able to care for? What are the things we'd be able to do if we were less consumed by consumerism? And I, it made me think of an example of a, a friend I had um, have from my university days, not outside of this city. His name's Bobby. And Bobby has um, quite the life story, but he's in his 60s, and he spends his days driving around town and connecting with people that he knows. It includes people that live on the streets. It includes seniors who might need rides. It includes business owners. And I met him volunteering at a drop-in center where we'd serve food. And one time after volunteering, he says, Vincent, let's go out for coffee. You know, I'd love to get to know you better. And so he's like, we're somewhere that would be nice. And I think, oh, I don't know. He's like, Starbucks. Starbucks is special. So he brings me to Starbucks. And at the time, as a student, like, I thought going to Tim Hortons and paying for coffee was a big deal. Like, I, um, I, you know, Starbucks felt really special. And so he... He yeah, said, okay, get whatever drink you want. You're probably hungry. Grab a snack too. It's probably 10 bucks or something. And he was just really generous. And I don't care that much for Starbucks in particular, but I, it really stood out to me that like, wow, that was really nice. Like this person really cares about just making an effort to connect with me. I later learned Bobby lives off a salary of 12 grand a year. He calls it a missionary wage. And... I look back at that and I think this is someone who is just not attached to money. Like this is someone who, who's not worried day to day about how much stuff he can have and, you know, the next thing that he wants. He's able to just be in the moment and just, you know, money is a resource God has given and I'll use it however I think he calls me to. Um, and I really want more of that for myself. So I've given a couple of different examples of what I think Jesus is outlining here when he's telling us about this process of what does it mean to follow him practically? And he's talking about denying ourselves, letting go of the things that hinder us, pick up our crosses, that means to embrace his mission of love, and then we act on that, we follow him. And I think that's um, maybe, it, it's, it can be helpful for thinking about you know, what do we mean when we say we're oriented towards Jesus or we're trying to move towards Jesus? And it, it is a process that's not, you know, just a one-time deal. It's not like, one, two, three, done. It, it is a, an ongoing process. And I also just want to note, I, I don't have time to dive into this today, but I think it's really important that as Christians, we do this not as a way of trying to earn God's love, 
but as a response to God's love. We talked lots in the past few weeks about how God welcomes us with open arms. There's nothing we could do to make God love us more. There's nothing we could do to make God love us less. And we want to extend that to others, but we also want to respond. And Jesus says, you respond by following him. And this is, this is part of what it means to follow him. So I'd just like to um, share a couple of thoughts around practically, what does this mean for us? How do we do this? So if I start with the denying ourselves part, like how do we examine ourselves? I think of Psalm 139, where the psalmist reads or prays, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How do we open ourselves up to what the Spirit is teaching us? I think we can do that through prayer and listening prayer. Some of us, this might come to naturally to be alone, but something I find challenged by is, what if I just spend 15 minutes in silence? No books, maybe a journal, but no distractions, and that can be really uncomfortable for people like me who are really social, but it always brings stuff up in myself. Uh, maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's asking those who we trust to be willing to be a mirror and, and tell us what are the things they see in us. I spent a lot of time trying to come up with examples for this sermon, and last night I was thinking, I could have just called my brother and been like, hey, what's a couple of examples of how I need to deny myself? And he would have given them to me like that, you know? <laughs> it would have been way faster. Um, and I think we need people around us, and, and that's another way we can um, notice what, what are the things we need to let go of. When it comes to taking up our cross and seeking Jesus' mission of love, um, I think it's helpful to be reminded that we all are made for a purpose related to Jesus's um, self-sacrifice. He, he, he's calling us in different ways. One question I'm asking is, who are the people we're uniquely placed to love? I think sometimes I think of loving and, and, and Jesus's mission, I think far out, but it might just be in our own families. I gave the example with my toddler and how, okay, that, that's an area where I'm placed to love. Um, maybe for you, it's friends, or maybe it's a sibling that's um, hard to get along with, sometimes are hard to connect with, or can just be a bit annoying. Um, maybe it's at work. Are there colleagues that we find hard to get along with? Bosses we find hard to respect. And also thinking about um, other settings we might be in at school. Are there people who are hurting? And at church? who are the people who we might not naturally connect with. And neighbors, who are people who have hurt us. Sorry, neighbors. And then I thought automatically to Jesus' words about neighbors being Samaritans and people we don't want to connect with, and that thought of enemies, and then, yeah, people who may have hurt us. So finally, then, Jesus says to follow him. And um, it's interesting that he says, you know, you got to do those first two steps. We got to examine our own hearts. We got to let go of the stuff that gets in our way. Then we can reorient, we're freed up to reorient to Jesus's way, and then we can start to follow him. And um, I, I think one thing that it makes you think of is how we could use a little bit of help <laughs> to do that. Some of the things that we might be called to do require a community. Some of it, it's just helpful to have some support. 
if I want to be a better parent, it's really helpful to connect with other parents. If I want to be a better friend, it's really helpful to have people walk along the side. And I wonder what some of those actions are that we will take. Is it something as simple as choosing to listen instead of being quick to speak? Is it doing dishes because that's a loving thing to do? Is it not holding grudges like we talked about? Is it rest? Because if you're like me, you might be driven by a desire to be overly productive and it's really hard to just slow down and rest. So that's the big picture overview of um, one, one way of thinking about what does it mean as a community when we talk about we want to be centered on Jesus. We want to be moving towards Jesus. So we're not saying people are in or out based on specific theological points, based on specific traditions that they practice, but if we have this heart orientation. And again, we do it in response to God's love. And when I was, you know, preparing for this and thinking about grassroots, I'm actually quite encouraged. I feel like this is the direction that I sense the energy um, moving towards. I feel like, yeah, we're people who want to be disciples. We want to follow. And we also want to do it on God's strength, knowing that he loved us first. So I'd just like to conclude with a prayer that's one of my favorite prayers. It's called, Make Me an Instrument of Your Peace. Some of you may have heard it, and it's uh, often credited to St. Francis of Assisi. Um, and I'll, I'll read it out loud. If you want, you can close your eyes. If you want to keep your eyes open, that's good too. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me still love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Not so much to be understood as to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we awake to eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.